This is Pure Decking, show number 554, for Thursday, February the 29th, 1692. This is the show about stuff that interests me, like information security, rigging the game, and with the recent news that somebody got doomed to run on a freaking toothbrush, I'm kind of trying to decide whether it's really an impressive achievement that they got doomed to run on a toothbrush, or really stupid that somebody put enough horsepower in a toothbrush to run doom. <laughs> I'm really not sure which. Uh, is it a factory made? Yes. Horsepower, so it actually comes that BP from the factory. Yeah, it's got like an ESP32 and a color screen on it. Why? That's what I was thinking about at first. It's like, oh wow, you got Doom to run on a toothbrush. Then it's like, why does a toothbrush have enough horsepower to run Doom? <laughs> oh man. Uh, where's the Is link it going to run afoul of California's higher-powered computer rules? Uh, it might, actually. I don't know. It's a... They got a picture of it. Um, yeah, the toothbrush contains an ESP32 C3 with 4 megs of flash. And a color screen on it. And they've got Doom downscaled running on it. And they even show him pulling out the mouse and making it work with MiniWAD. So it's like... I mean, granted, they've got ESP32s that emulate full-blown other computers, so I, I guess it's possible, but, um, yeah, because somebody originally got it ported from the Game Boy Advance to run on a Christmas ornament that had one of these chips in it, but, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know <laughs> if, uh, Oh, man, it just seems like a waste of tech and money. It does, but it also means that these chips are getting so cheap, they're putting them in, you know, disposable crap like this. Which is going to make for an interesting next couple of years. And we have a madman. Hey, madman. Actually, your timing's good, because I haven't actually finished the intro. We're still technically doing the intro, because I was making a joke about Doom on a toothbrush. And it's like, well, wait, why do you have enough horsepower in your toothbrush to run Doom? <laughs> so, I mean, the same reason it has a network connection. Spy on you. No. To spy on you. Yeah, that's about right. Uh, now, next thing you're going to tell me about smart toilets. Oh, those exist. I still want a clean one just to get the uh, medical information back. Hello, sir. Good news. We think you're dead. When your toilet just gives a message on the phone that says, go to the doctor. <laughs> you have oh, an unhealthy just... amount of bleach in your crap. Uh, I'm just trying to prevent for... myself from getting COVID. <laughs> I, I just, I wanted the cool dystopian cyberpunk future. This one's crap. I want my money back. Have you not seen the Japanese smart toilet? Yes, but I've done no investigation into it for the simple reason I don't need my toilet to talk to me. In Japanese, oh. no less. I don't need a fucking weeb toilet. 
<laughs> it, it doesn't just talk to you. It, it analyzes your horrible and sends information to your doctor. It also makes uh, pleasant noises to cover up your flatulence and wow. automatically sprays air freshener when you stand up. It's uh, got a heated seat and washes your ass. This is the world's gift to shitting. <laughs> And this is that's like my fucking wife's car with all its bullshit features. You don't need any of it. Well, it's a weeb toilet though. So when you stand, you know, so when you finish, you get both your medical report and the report of what anime you should watch based off the medical report. Like, like the last thing I want is like some sort of fucking weeb toilet. Sorry, Akira just keeps popping to mind. You're like you fucking going leaving the toilet is like Kanima. Akira. <laughs> the chant from uh, Ghost in the Shell plays to cover the flash. Oh man, yeah, the hacking fucking music when you sit down, you know. Or oh, that it has a um a voice like a touchy komu. Yeah, oh god, innocence. <laughs> Okay, man, man, you get me a smart toilet that sounds like a touch coma, and, and you may have a purchase here for your first uh, international toilet shipping business. Uh, you know, we should probably finish the intro. Tonight, we have a madman. <laughs> What's up, madman? Nothing much. I uh, just realized what time it was and hopped into TeamSpeak to, to discuss toiletries, apparently. <sighs> Well, you never know where the show's going to go. We have an RU486. I am pretty sure a Tachikomu-sounding uh, toilet is probably a hate crime somewhere. But uh, we'll leave it at that. It deserves I'll wait to for be. my Canadian government to come and get me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, pre-hate crime. Mm-hmm. Like, that'll end well. Let's confirm that for the conspiracy theorists everything they're afraid of. Yay! And oh, um, no, dude, you missed that. Uh, one of those, I don't, they don't do TED talks anymore, do they? Do something else. Um, and the, t- the talk was uh, gang stalking. Yes, it's real, and we're doing it for your protection. Oh, great! <laughs> yeah, so okay. something, something is up. I can't seem to get into the IRC tonight, so I guess I'm not going to be reacting to anybody in the IRC. Sorry about that. Um, Anyways, I guess we, we. I mean, we could sit here and make more jokes about Japanese toilets, or I guess we could get going with some of these stories. I mean, I'm up for whatever. Yeah, let's see where it goes. It may go full circle at this point. <laughs> well, I guess we'll get. The you know, first one is from Mars Technica. Judge issues restraining corner, keep, keeping DOE from tracking Bitcoin miners. So. Earlier this month, the U.S. Department of Energy announced its intention to gather basic information about the energy consumed by Bitcoin mining. In making this decision, the DOE noted that the share of Bitcoin mining happening in the U.S. has shut up by a factor of 10 um, within the last three years, leaving the activity consuming as much electricity as a fairly populous state. Well, if they're paying their power bill, what's the problem? (laughs) Uh, to understand what this means for the U.S. grid and its reliability, the DOE plan to gather information from large Bitcoin mining operations within the U.S., but that plan has now been put on hold by a judge who issued a restraining order against the Department of Energy in response to a lawsuit filed by miners. In the decision, the judge suggested that Bitcoin miners' issues with the plan were likely to see it permanently blocked. 
While it's theoretically possible to mine Bitcoin only during periods which production of renewable energy exceeds demand, doing so would leave a lot of hardware idle most days. In making its decision to monitor these operations, the DOE also gathered evidence that showed mining operations had inflated demand from power from a number of fossil fuel plants and were thus either competing with other users of that power or causing unnecessary carbon emissions. Both of those issues are within the Department of Energy's purview. So the DOE produced an order which would require miners to fill out a survey that would provide insights into how their facilities were consuming electricity. Instead of going through a standard rulemaking process, which could take up to a year, the DOE went a route that involved an emergency order, which required approval from the Office of Management and Budget, which it received in January. Bitcoin miners responded with a suit that sought to block the DOE, filed in the Western District of Texas. Texas is a major site of Bitcoin mining within the U.S., and the wind farms of the Texas Panhandle regularly experience periods of production that exceed demand, enabling cheap energy prices. But those aren't likely to be the only reason the suit was filed there. The district's Waco division is also the home of Judge Alan Albright, who gained notoriety for providing such favorable venue that roughly a quarter of the parent of the patent lawsuits in the U.S. were filed there. The mining companies that filed the suit argued that they'd experienced they would experience irreparable harms by completing this DOE survey, including the costs of filling it out and the risks of doing so would reveal confidential business information. The DOE responded by arguing that the survey should take only half an hour to complete, one of the plaintiffs put the figure at 40 hours, and issuing a statement suspending the requirement for its completion until late March. All right, I'm going to stop right there for a minute, because I've been on the other side of some government surveys, and they say, oh, it'll only take you an hour to fill it out, because they're assuming you have all the numbers they're expecting you to have at your fingertips. Well, you would just know that, wouldn't you? I mean, you should just know these things. Well... Often the numbers they care about are are things that are only tracked by the business because the government's going to ask you about them. They have no business purpose to be tracked. So, um, Or it's going to be things like, how much Bitcoin have you mined? What's been your total profit? You know, shit like that. So we know how much money to come in and take from you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and mine, a lot of, a lot of Bitcoin mining, they were setting up in places where they could produce their own energy anyways. So are they actually pulling from grid? I mean, I'm sure they have a connection to the grid, but I mean, are they, are they like actually pulling from grid all the time? You know what I mean? So I just think the government smells money. Yeah. And they're going for a shakedown. So you want to be, wouldn't want to be overregulated by the environment scary climate monsters would you mm. hey? uh, we I th- will tell I th- the people that, that you're making the climate monster angry again i think you're right that they smell money i think that's exactly what it is because they probably will want to play the carbon credit game it's like well no look you're gonna have to pay these fines you're gonna have to do this do that so anyways i mean i i think you're absolutely right on the money with that one yeah this is just a shakedown um, they haven't figured out how to shake down the chat GTP people yet, but they'll get there. Oh, that's that'll be next. Yeah. Um, wouldn't want your AI to be overly regulated, would you? Mm. You know, now give us some money for the climate monster. You have anything, Madman, before I finish the story here? Um, I don't believe it's a shakedown for money. I believe that long ago sailed. We've actually stocked the uh, Department of Energy and the Department of Justice with true believers. 
they're wanting to shut it down because humanity needs to go extinct and anything that Mother Gaia says rules. Madman with the bright and chipper response there. Yeah, mine was, I thought mine was depressing. No, it's, they, they're, if they wanted to tax it, they tax it for income, and that's where they would get the majority of their taxes. Anything they're pushing as far as environmental regulation is, we wish to end this practice. So, Albright's yeah. decision to issue the injunction is based largely on the fact that the DOE's decision to delay going forward with the survey was voluntary and could be rescinded at any time. But he went beyond that by saying that mining companies were likely to succeed on the merits of their case. In general terms, he noted that the DOE relied on its ability to enact emergency measures, and those are only applicable if there's a risk of public harm. The DOE will likely try to make the case that elevated carbon emissions and electricity costs both count as public harm, so Albright is suggesting that he's unlikely to find those compelling. More specifically, he argued the DOE was being disingenuous regarding the minimal burden imposed by the survey. Quote, upon inspection of the survey itself, the court finds the 30-minute estimate of completion extremely inaccurate, if not grossly misleading. Unquote. In response to the injunction, the DOE has pulled the survey from its website and is not presently providing copies to the media. <laughs> that's, that's encouraging right there. <laughs> it's like, and they buried it. <laughs> Obviously, there's potential for an appeal, but based on the text of the decision, the DOE is likely to lose if this goes to trial, and that could also end up being appealed. Uh, given the amount of time involved in all of that, the DOE might be better off starting a formal rulemaking process to mandate the completion of its survey in the future. Of course, formal rules can also be the target of lawsuits. All of this to say it's looking like the DOE is going to struggle to get information out of Bitcoin miners, given the rapid expansion of their energy use in the past three years. That's going to make planning for future electricity needs that much more challenging. So, you know, I, 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 the guy who wrote the story did a pretty good job of being fair with how he wrote it, I think. Yeah, I have no complaints about the way it was written, but uh, the madman, out of the true believers for the climate monsters and the absolute greed pigs that are uh, Wall Street, who's going to win? Um, I can't see right BlackRock going. Yeah, I can't see BlackRock going, you know what, we're going to forgo that trillion dollars we could have made with Bitcoin mining just for the climate monster uh, they can try to fight it and hopefully they will for a while the problem is we've given up our education system to the true believers well, no, I'm not arguing about the true believers being in power I just I would like to see the fight between the true believers and the money monsters well, uh, the big issue is once you give up the education system, that means the money monsters are also um, being taken over by the true believers. They'll concede the fight eventually. You're thinking right now, we've got some of these 40-year-olds that don't quite buy into it still in charge. Okay, so 10 years from now, those 40-year-olds will be 50 and slowly being weaved out by the younger generation. 20 yeah, years from that, they're retired, and we just have the true believers running the show. It's yeah, a, it's a game start. of time. Yeah, I, I, dude, I, I hope to be out of here in the next 20 years because it's turning into a fucking shit show with the true believers. Well, I just find the but, true believers scary because they they actually put out a commercial in Britain a few years back you know, showing people with a murder button. Oh, you don't you don't buy into our, our 
point of view, click pop, you're dead. And they're like uh, killing kids well, and shit with they it. They showed children with murder buttons. Yeah, and it's like yeah. that was they were surprised that people were upset by that. And it's just like, yeah. oh, oh, you've really bought into this if you don't see what's wrong with that. <laughs> so I'm I'm as, as much as I don't like I mean, it, I think Mad Men might be right. <laughs> so got the psychopath class and the sociopath class are about to go to war with each other, is what you're saying. And there's not gonna be enough popcorn. I, I, dude, I know, right? I I'm all I'm all in. I'm I'm loving the show. I'm just trying to figure out which part of the stand to sit in at this point to watch the show. Uh, you're gonna want to um, be in the uh, you know, uh, the next field as far a fucking way as possible. <laughs> I, I want to I want a seat near the exit, please. Uh, it, yeah. I, oh, really we're like, going to a Gallagher show. No, I would like to not be in the front three rows, please. <laughs> I think it's going to be an interesting fight. Um, between those who want to make money and those who want to make people go away. Well, I mean, if you want to play that game in the short term, and by short term, I mean, I mean the next uh, 20 to 40 years, I think the, the true believers will win. And then they'll wreck the economy. And so ultimately, the people who make the money will come back in and win, but it will be people rediscovering that uh, mentality as opposed to continuing the one we have now. I mean, that's pretty fucking dark, dude, but um, I'm all down for reality. I mean, I'd love to be wrong. I would so love to be wrong. Oh, I would too. Because, uh, you know, in the TV yeah. shows where they always go to the dystopian gray future that everyone always wears wool for some reason. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's that's where we're going. <laughs> There's a good reason for that. Read, man, man, you read a lot of history too. The crime rate and everything right now is probably at its uh, height of the 70s in America. No uh, difference to that. No, Apart it's been from going mass down. immigration. Uh, dude, they're, they're, they're duking the stats, as they call it. Mm. They're, they're turning a, a robbery into a shoplifting thing. You know what I mean? They're, they're making... Well, that's yeah. recent. I mean, the trend has been downward for a real long time. A rape gets turned into a sexual assault, you know. Ever since Floyd, it's been slowly going up. Yeah, I don't know, man. But if you're going over decades, it's it's still not to the point of the 60s. But it is slowly going up. I mean, if we're on that timeline, then by next year, a year after, we should start seeing the uh, reemergence of the film industry with the uh, vigilante. Oh, getting Death Wish and stuff coming back to theaters. Yeah, well, I'll just look at the MCU shit. It's been for the last like twenty years. They 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 beat that fucking horse till it was just like powdered glue. Um, no different to what they did with the westerns genre back in the the fifties and sixties. Then uh, you started seeing like the Death Wish and that in the seventies and the eighties was the uh, sort of the Magic Dream era where uh, computers were starting up things like that. Um, uh, the antihero was getting big in the eighties. So you're saying yeah. we're due for westerns to make a comeback? I wouldn't be the first to predict that. 
I'm not the first one to say that, but um, I, I think we'll see the vigilante films start coming up. At least small indie projects, anyway. If the big studios don't reverse course quickly. See, but anyway, I'm take I'm sidetracking the show, dude. Let's keep going. All right, well, we'll do the next article here. It's from Tom's Hardware. NVIDIA's AI customers are scared to be seen courting other AI chipmakers for fear of retaliatory shipment delays, says rival firm. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. I'm like, yeah, NVIDIA got really big in the last two years, but they ain't fucking, you know, the Sopranos just yet. You know what I mean? A report published on the Wall Street Journal on Monday uh, surfaces an accusation that NVIDIA might be willing to delay data center GPU orders if it becomes aware of a customer looking for greener pastures. Thus, rival AI chipmaker Grok says the fearful, that fearful customers are secretive about acquiring or designing AI acceleration technology for fear of retaliatory shipment de- delays. This stands in contrast to NVIDIA's own statements on the matter, which says the company is trying to allocate supply fairly to offer customers alternative access to compute uh, while they wait for their shipments. Fear of being found out is so strong that it isn't uncommon for people to deny it. They've had meetings with rival AI chip, uh, rival AI accelerator chip firms. Jonathan Ross, CEO of rival uh, chip startup Grok, told the Wall Street Journal, quote, a lot of people say that if if we meet with... I'll get it right. Quote, a lot of people that we meet with say that if NVIDIA were to hear that we were meeting, they would disavow it, unquote, Ross told the Wall Street Journal. Quote, the problem is that you have to pay NVIDIA a year in advance, and you may get your hardware in a year, or it may take longer, and it's all shucks. You're buying it from somebody else. I guess it's going to take a little longer, unquote. If true, this revelation of echoes of Intel using strong-arm tactics in the early noughties to... Okay, nobody calls it the noughties. We call it the 90s. God. Actually, no, they're talking about the early 2000s. Naughties. Stop, stop trying to make that be a thing. It's not a thing. Millhouse is not a meme. It was, um, to disincentivize PC-making partners from offering AMD inside systems. Elsewhere in the Wall Street Journal report, it's made clear that NVIDIA is enjoying its dominance in the blooming AI market, with an estimated 80% of companies using AI acceleration reliant on green team's hardware. Um, yeah, go look at all the uh, technology companies laying people off because they expect the AI to replace people. And that technology is not quite as far along as they think. <laughs> Anyways, the Wall Street Journal report even seems to hint that tech uh, goliaths like Microsoft, Google, and Amazon are making their own AI accelerators, yet insist they aren't planning to become NVIDIA competitors. In contrast, to the statement from Ross, NVIDIA CEO Jensen Huang is reported to have told an analyst that he tries to be fair in allocating GPUs to companies and will avoid selling to companies that won't immediately use the accelerators. Oh, that's that's kind of fucky. Like, oh, we don't think you're using that right away, so we're not going to ship to you yet, even though you paid for them. Yeah, Wang, that's a bad business model. Yeah. Wang also indicated he will introduce GPU customers to cloud providers to tide them over as they wait for GPU orders to be fulfilled. You see what those things cost. Uh, incidentally, NVIDIA invested heavily into a cloud company called CoreWeave, which operates the large data centers with significant fleet of NVIDIA GPUs and rents out computing power. Yeah, don't say. Uh, Grok clearly isn't a disinterested third party observing all this from afar. Quite the opposite. In fact, NVIDIA is undoubtedly the 800-pound gorilla of the AI world right now. 
What isn't clear is whether there's any proof of malfeasance on the part of NVIDIA or whether anyone would dare come forward with said proof if it exists. <laughs> That's a big if true story, but the thing is, given NVIDIA's behavior, it's not out of the realm of possibility. I was saying, like, it's only in the last two years they've had a mega rise. But damn, are they walking around with their nose in the fucking air, dude? Well, it, but the thing is, like, NVIDIA's done that before. Chip, you're a shitty chip company. Like, you will be on the out once again. Like, NVIDIA are walking around like they're, they're going to be the, the be all end all of chips. But they've done it before. That's the thing. Um, the early GeForce lines, they had, you know, they were clearly faster than most of the other chips on the market. You know, they were, they were the only, the early GeForces, I mean, you know, you still had 3DFX hanging around, but the only competition was the early Radeon chips. And they just, I mean, the GeForce chips were just, just, I had the Radeon card. So I had a bit envy when I went to a LAN party and saw somebody rocking the dual GeForces and it's just like, oh. Like, don't get me wrong, that Radeon 64 is a nice card, and it could do a lot of fun stuff. But, uh, you know, when you sell the frame rate, somebody was cranking out of UT with the dual G-forces. It's just like, oh, man. <laughs> but um, anyways. Um, but, yeah, NVIDIA has done that before, where they've, um, you know, allocated shipments and been real careful about it. Actually, I want to say when the um, first run of the 1080 cards generation came out they were they were cu curating inventory and stockpile oh you couldn't get a 1080 for love of money yeah right. um and, and of course then again when when covid hit and everybody was trying to get gpus same thing happened so nvidia has done it before where they've played games with their pipeline and and played games with people's orders they don't have the greatest reputation out there in the world I mean, there's a reason Apple refuses to do business with them. They they tried to play games with Apple a few years back because Apple used to use uh, NVIDIA chips for GPUs, and uh, they won't touch them now. So, I mean, they're not doing themselves any favors going ahead, you know, with this attitude that they've got. Well, they do have a real production someone gets problem. Something, someone gets something better. They, they do I, have I a real production ship. problem in that they can only produce so many of the chips you know, a day and there's just not that many lines making the, the, um, there's not that many fab plants that are capable of producing the chips at scale that NVIDIA has designed. Um, and they're also competing not just for fab space, but those NVIDIA GPUs, the business, the AI businesses are competing with the consumer GPUs because people still want cards, you know, they still want to play yeah. their games. So, it's that that market's gotten a little bit better as ATI is caught up with the um, ATI AMD AMD bought ATI years ago. I'm old, um, but you know AMD's caught up with the Radeon cards, and Intel's Arc apparently is getting better. They still have driver problems, but apparently it's getting better. So, uh, but a AMD's got the combo. The, the APU chips, where it's a decent CPU with a fairly decent built-in graphics card that, um, like, that's what's in the Steam Deck. It's what's in a lot of consoles. So, 
you know, and those are getting better and better. So it's not quite as as bleak, but NVIDIA really does have a lock on the whole um, GPU accelerated math, which is what the AI is using. It's also what things like Bitcoin mining we're using. I think Bitcoin's mostly on ASICs these days. But um, I think what's going to happen is probably the same thing we saw happen with Bitcoin mining is that you'll start seeing hardware that's specific to AI acceleration that's not a GPU. Yeah. You know, based on ASICs and things like that, you'll start seeing custom hardware that's specifically to be an AI accelerator start showing up. And um, if NVIDIA is not on top of that, they'll they'll find themselves on the outs again. So I don't know. I think it's interesting to see, but I mean, the thing is, I wouldn't put it past NVIDIA to be playing games like this with the with the supply line and possibly pressuring people. I mean, the demand is hot enough that they're like, oh, well, if you're not going to use our GPUs right away because you're looking at somebody else's, I could actually see them using that as the argument. Well, we're going to fulfill this order over here first. But I guess it bothers me that they're judging whose need is better. That's that's a bit that pisses me. It's I like, mean, if you pay your money, get your product. Right? So, I don't know. Mad Men, do you have any thoughts on that before I move on? Uh, I do like the idea of first come, first serve. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. So... Anyways, I guess we'll move on to this next one. It's from PC Gamer. Nintendo is suing the makers of the Switch emulator Yuzu, claiming, quote, there is no lawful way to use Yuzu, unquote. So, in, in, Nintendo's making a go at emulators again. Uh, Nintendo of America is suing the maker of Nintendo Switch emulator Yuzu, saying it, quote, unlawfully circumvents technological measures, unquote, that prevent Switch games from being played on other hardware. Yuzu's been around for ages. Um, PC Gamer talked about it being used to run Pokemon Let's Go back in 2018. But it was Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom that really brought it front and center for mainstream gamers. One day after the Switch-exclusive game went live, the Yuzu developers said they had had it running at full speed on most hardware with no hacks needed. That was great for Nintendo fans, but Nintendo was clearly less enthused. The lawsuit, available in full on Scribd, describes emulators as a, quote, piece of software that allows users to unlawfully play pirated video games that were published only for a specific console and a general-purpose computing device, unquote, and cites Tears of the Kingdom, which leaked ahead of release, as a specific example of such. Yuzu publicly took steps to discourage piracy on Discord. But Nintendo nonetheless pointed the finger at the emulator as the problem. Quote, infringing copies of the game that circulated online were be were able to be played in Yuzu, and those copies were successfully downloaded from pirate web servers over one million times before the game was published and made available for lawful purchase by Nintendo. Unquote. The lawsuit states, quote, many of the pirate websites specifically noted the ability to play the game file in Yuzu. Unquote. This, of course, isn't the first time emulators have been accused of encouraging piracy. In 1999, Sony sued a company called Connectix, the maker of the PlayStation emulator called the Virtual Game Station, over allegations of copyright infringement and various violations of its intellectual property rights. Connectix actually won the case. Among other things, the court said Sony understandably seeks to control seeks control over the market for devices that play games Sony produces or licenses, unquote. 
but ruled that copyright law, quote, does not confer such a monopoly, unquote. The ruling came down in 2000 during the very early days of the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, which came into force in the U.S. in 1998, and how it would play out today is an open question. Nintendo's lawsuit pointedly hand-waves any notions of legitimate use of Yuzu, quote, to be clear, there's no lawful way to use Yuzu to play Nintendo Switch games, including because it must decrypt the game's encryption, unquote. Bullshit. Any emulator has, the, has a legitimate use. Mainly, homebrew game development, so that you can develop your ROM, test it on the emulator where you're not going to crash the hardware or ruin the hardware by loading it into a ROM cart. And then when you've got it working correctly in the emulator, you can try to put it on the real hardware before you try to sell the game indie. Now, yeah, I know Nintendo puts out a legitimate dev kit for Switch games, but still, you know, it has a legitimate use. It's just not one they think anybody's using. (laughs) You know, it's like that set of lockpicks. It has a legitimate use in case you forget your house keys. But nobody thinks that's what you're doing with them. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Once again, it's not a thought crime. Just because you got it doesn't mean you're going to use it. You know, maybe you just happen to have a collection of lockpicks because you think they're cool looking. Maybe you're like me and you have a Flipper Zero because you thought the device was funny and you wanted to play with it. And it's like, oh no, according to the government of Canada, I'm an evil bad person now because I happen to have a <laughs> ESP32 in a fancy case with a dolphin on the screen. That's effectively what it is. Well, that and a bunch of radios. <laughs> oh, right, and... uh I'm playing around with Mesh-tastic nodes, which I, I've read the reports on, found that later. Apparently, these things are considered to be quite the uh, subversive activity, you know, setting up off-grid SMS. <laughs> How dare you. Yep. So, God forbid you do, uh, it's like, you, you one of them ham radio operators? What? That's not allowed. How are we supposed to monitor that? <laughs> Uh, like vegans, ham operators, you don't have to ask them, they'll tell you. Uh, oh, it's a great clip that floats around. So, anyways. Uh, for good measure, Nintendo also complained about Yuzu spoiling Tears of the Kingdom, saying that because of the prevalence of emulators, quote, many fans of The Legend of Zelda were first to, forced to avoid social media to prevent seeing spoilers and preserve their surprise and delight for the actual game release, unquote. Ah, <sighs> really? They they that put fragile? they put spo- we- they put they spoiled it in a lawsuit. Spoilers in a lawsuit, really, guys? Wow. I mean, anyways, the lawsuit says the harm caused to Nintendo by Yuzu is quote manifest and irreparable, but it's seeking reparations anyways, including a permanent injunction against. Well, it's irreparable, but we want you to do something. In- <laughs> including permanent injunction against the emulator and a surrender of the yuzuemu.org website and monetary damages, which could be extremely steep. Nintendo is seeking statutory damages of $2,500 per violation of the DMCA's anti-circumvention and anti-trafficking provisions and $150,000 per violation of Nintendo's copyright, although it may opt for actual damages to be determined at trial. So let's see here. $150,000 Per violation of copyright, how many times did they say this game was downloaded? Over one million times? You're asking for more money than exists. 
typical these days, though. I guarantee you the people who run Yuzu EM don't have... Well, the, um, okay, their lawyers know that they're asking for that. They know that it's a retarded amount of money. Their goal is not to make any money. Their goal is to not just shut these guys down, but to scare anybody else who might dare think of challenging Nintendo on anything Nintendo wants to do. You know, for fear they're going to sick the lawyers after them. You and Games Workshop, man. Anyways. Uh, lest there be any doubt, Nintendo may pursue the matter as far as it can and will hold makers of Yuzu responsible for paying whatever penalty is assigned. Gary Bowser was famously fined millions of dollars and served jail time for his role in pirating Nintendo Switch and th- 3DS games. Despite his well-publicized financial straits being released, since being released from prison, Nintendo is not letting it go. Can you not bankrupt out of these? No, I- Oh, that was one of the conditions. Ah. It depends on uh, the ruling. I was going to say, if you get a, a, a lawsuit judgment against you for, you know, more money than exists, it's just like, oh, bankruptcy. <laughs> I mean, duh. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I guess I guess that's why they would prevent you from doing that. But still, being I judgment think, uh... proof is a thing. <laughs> I think Alex Jones has that as well. He can't bankrupt his way out of it. Well, he's 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 probably hiding assets like nobody's business. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really, really want to hide assets for Alex Jones? I mean, I'm sure Crowder is. Hey, yeah, I'll I'll keep his space alien urine hidden, but that's about it. <laughs> Did anybody tell him it's just Mountain Dew in a Mountain Dew in a jar? Like he didn't even open the can. It's just a can of Mountain Dew they put it in a jar. I don't. <laughs> Anyways, next article is from Gizmodo. Um, this is kind of a no surprise, especially since we talked about it last week. Automatic, the parent company of websites like WordPress and Tumblr is in talks to sell content from its platforms to AI companies like Midjourney and OpenAI for training purposes, according to a new report from 404 Media Tuesday. And while the details of the deal are still sketchy, Automatic is trying to reassure users they can opt out at any time, except for the fact that they've already scraped the data and they've already sold it to you. So when you opt out, that's just anything new. (laughs) So there's not really much else to say here that we didn't say last week, but every fucking company is scraping data and selling it to AI companies. Because if they don't, their board of directors says, why are you leaving money on the table? Because we're not evil? (laughs) That's cute. Somebody get him a lollipop and a puppy. Now let's back to business. Uh in all seriousness, though, I mean, does anybody have anything to say on this? I mean, of course they are. My business model isn't mining my customers for data. It's selling them pizza. Yet they still want you to sign up on that website, have a custom account, track every order and what you order. And Just because McDonald's wants you to have an app to order a Big Mac doesn't mean they're selling... Yeah, it does. It means they're selling every fucking thing you type in there. (laughs) Now, here's the thing. 
we t- well, like I said, we talked about it last week, and I realized it after I said something because I I know we had talked about Tumblr, but I missed that it was also WordPress. WordPress is huge. I mean, how many little hobby blogs and just project sites and God knows what else have people spun up a WordPress site on? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, the reason I wanted to talk about that is because I missed the WordPress part of that last week, or at least I think I did. I have slept since then and drank a lot. (laughs) So, anyways, next article. This is one that uh, I do want to talk about a little bit. AT&T will give $5 to customers hit by the cell phone network outage. Wow, that's big of them. AT&T, well, given the number of people. AT&T says it will give the affected customers $5 each to compensate for last week's cell phone network outage that left many without service for hours. The Dallas-based company said on its website that customers will get the $5 credit on their account within two billing cycles. The credit does not apply to AT&T business, prepaid service, or Cricket, or its low-cost wireless service. AT&T said prepaid customers will have options available to them if they were impacted, though it did not elaborate on what those options would be. Because they're not actually giving anybody $5. They're giving you $5 off your next bill. Uh, The adage knocked out cell phone service for thousands of its users across the U.S. starting early Thursday before it was restored. AT&T blamed the incident on an error in coding without elaborating and said it was not the result of a cyber attack. We all know the truth. They're not exactly going to say a shit got hacked. No, we all know the truth. What happened was somewhere in the network, a certificate expired. A certificate that the only person who knew what it did was laid off back in 2019. Yeah. <laughs> and that the server that issued that certificate was decommissioned uh, probably about two years later because nobody knew what it did. Yeah. And uh, if anybody's ever pass. worked, if anybody has ever worked with AT&T at a business level, well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's just say we've had some poor experience with them. I mean, in, in all seriousness, though, I mean, wh- okay, five bucks. five bucks. Yeah, that that's all your that's all your time and effort is worth. You know, we that's we how much they hate you. That's the level of respect they have for their customer. They fucking hate you. They hate your kids, and they want to kill your pets. So, here's the other thing, though. They're not really giving anybody anything. They're just giving them a few bucks off their next bill, right? Now, admittedly, that adds up. That is going to be an impact to revenue. But not as much as if they had to send everybody a a check. Oh, absolutely not, yeah. But that's why they're exempting all these other plans out of it, is because they probably don't have any way to do that with those other plans, especially the prepaid one. But, um, or AT&T business, it's just like, no, fuck you, you're a business. But... Well, that or actually, what it probably is is with AT and T business is several businesses probably have negotiated, you know, allowable downtime, so they're gonna have to yeah. figure those out individually. So that's probably why that one's exempt. But um, yeah, cricket, they're just like, nah, you're already not paying us anything. We don't fucking care about you. Um, the prepaid stuff, well, yeah, they probably just don't have any way to do it. Um, 
but um, I don't know. I mean, it's a pittance, and do you think they would have bothered if it hadn't made the news? I'm not sure, and I'm also not sure what all they should do. You have to actually show harm whenever you're saying, this guy harmed me. True. And if I didn't get a phone call during that outage, I wasn't actually harmed. And I've been off work for a week. I've gotten exactly six phone calls, and all of those were on the same day. Was it within an hour of you taking PTO? Because that's usually what happens to me. (laughs) No, my business leaves me alone whenever I take off. Yeah, no, it's like usually the first day I'm off within the first hour or two, I'm getting phone calls. And it's usually stupid. I can't say they always leave me off, but sometimes they they have called me like, I forgot to ask you about this project, but that's very rare. It's gotten better. Though, I will say that, you know, it used to be, I, I would try to take a week off and I'd be getting a phone call every day about something. Hey, can you log in and fix this? I'm supposed to be off. Yeah, can you log in and fix this? I'm, you know, not anywhere near a computer. Well, can you stop what you're doing, go to a computer and fix this? I'm also, I'm supposed to be off? Yeah, we don't fucking care. <laughs> no, so. I'm in the woods. <laughs> I'm not near a computer. I'm 80 miles from a computer. Well, in fact, you answered the call. You are near a computer. I may or may not have corrected Active Directory Group policy while That's driving on I, a major interstate. I just interstate said, right? You could be hour. in the middle of the fucking woods, Morps, and I wouldn't. And I'd just go, "Dude, you're near a computer." I'd call you bluff. Well, luckily, I have this wonderful way of simulating not having any signal. It's called turning the phone off. There we go. Anyway. So. Next story. All right. So AT&T does have that kind of thing going for them, uh, not knowing who was actually harmed. Well, I'm betting they did. I'm also betting they didn't have access to 911 service during the outage. That was the big thing. Yeah, that one. That's why it made the media. Yeah, that's that's a big one because most people don't have landlines anymore. They just have their cell phone. So, this last one's from The Verge. It's hilarious. A former Gizmodo writer changed his name to Slackbot and stayed undetected for months. So, I guess... So, on Slack... By, there are a lot of these higher end business chats, bots are a normal thing. Um, yeah. You have them watch things like your code base or, you know, pulling statistics from your website and posting things in there, or people can tell the bot to do something and it'll go trigger scripts and automations and stuff, right? That's a normal thing in these, these business space chat rooms like Slack. So what this guy did was he changed his name, his display name, to be the name of a bot to see how long he could go before he got kicked out of the company Slack after they laid him off. Oh, okay, he got laid off. That Now it's starting to make sense. I'm like, so who gives a shit? You went undetected in your own fucking meetings. Yeah, former. <laughs> but, ah, oh, yeah, no, now I see why this is a thing. 
Okay, here it is. Uh, hiding on Slack isn't all that hard, apparently, but you have to pretend you're a bot. That's what IT Bruce Tom McKay did when he left Gizmodo in 2022, and he went undetected by the site's management for months. In a post on X, McKay shared some screenshots of the new Slack bot persona he took on after he officially left Gizmodo. He also confirmed to The Verge that this silly prank really happened. If you're not glued to Slack, if you're like most of the day like the author, then you might not know that Slackbot is the friendly robot that lives in the messaging service. It helps you do things like set reminders, fill in your office's Wi-Fi password, or let you know when you've been monitored, mentioned in a channel you're not part of. Okay, and they've got a picture of his Twitter post where he says it's been long enough for me to admit that when I left Gizmodo in 2022, I changed my Slack username to Slackbot, and Geo Media failed to detect it or delete it for months. He apparently even went in and made a picture of the slap bo- icon with fuzzy eyebrows. <laughs> oh, it needed to be a jo- uh, Johnny Five picture. It should have been a Johnny Five picture. When it was his time to leave, McKay swapped out his existing profile picture for one that resembled an angrier version of Slackbot's actual icon. He changed his name to Slackbot. You can't just change your name on Slack to Slackbot, by the way, as the service will tell you the name's already taken. It does work if you use a special character that resembles one of the letters inside. Oh, this, yeah, there's the old URL trick. Slackbot, though, such as replacing O with Unicode character of O. Um, you know, this is the hold, hold down Alt and hit, you know, twiddle numbers yeah. on the keyboard so you can try force. Uh, the move camouflaged McKay's active Slackbot account for months, letting his account evade detection. It also allowed him to send a bot-like messages to his colleagues, such as Slackbot fact of the day. Hi, I'm a Slackbot. That's a fact. Have a slacky day. <laughs> Just fucking wow. with people. <laughs> Dude, I would have been really fucking with people. His colleague, Victoria Song, who previously worked at Gizmodo, isn't all that surprised by the situation, and says, quote, as Tom's former co-worker and Geomedia survivor, this tracks. <laughs> of course, not every company will follow the trip. Some has security measures in place to prevent the kind of thing. But perhaps Gizmodo's management thought that McKay's account had already been deleted, or they just weren't eagle-eyed enough to spot a duplicate Slackbot with a suspicious pair of brows. So, I will say also, too, most companies usually don't bother to. Some do. Um, okay, so I've got experience with Slack and doing this with HipChat, and now with Teams. Um, some of these, it's a right pain in the butt if you're not paying for the highest level of business support to tie your instance of the chat room into your active directory or whatever your, your company's directory is. If you do get those service and do the integration though, or do like through an Okta or something like that. Um, when you disable your account in the company, it'll also kick them out of the chat room. Right. I imagine what most likely was going on here, given what Gizmodo does is they probably don't have a big corporate network network like you know active directory assigned workstations things like your banks do right so instead it was probably a byod company so everybody just had whatever computer they had and they probably all signed into shared cloud accounts to you know submit articles post on things slack email that kind of thing uh which is you know a way to operate um you know, if you're not 
wanting to build a lot of infrastructure, that's certainly a way to operate. And if you're operating a news website, it's probably a good way to operate, especially if you have a whole bunch of freelance or semi-freelance writers. So they probably just didn't have anybody who bothered to, you know, they might have had somebody who manually would watch for people who were no longer in the company and go check their accounts and their names every once in a while. So this guy just changing his display name probably meant that he just scrolled right by it because they were, you know, they'd search for his name. It wouldn't come up. Oh, well, I guess he didn't have an account or somebody's already got it. So, you know, in that kind of organization, that's not super surprising. Now, that said, they, all he was doing was sending cheeky messages is kind of uh, disappointing. I figured he would have been trying to get into as many other channels as he could to monitor stuff and get inside scoops for wherever he ends up working, I guess, which is probably not legal. But since when has that ever stopped anybody, <laughs> at least in that industry? Yeah. So. But it is a hilarious prank in my mind of changing your name to match the bot. <laughs> See, actually, that's not the first time I've seen that. Now that I think about it, used to when I were years ago when I worked for a school. Whenever we caught a new botnet, we'd go report it to Shadow Tracker, and occasionally I'd get into the CNC channels. And um, when I would report it to one of the other researchers, they would you know ask me for what format the clients are pointing in as, so they could copy their you know, copy the style when they joined in so they'd be less likely to get caught. Especially because I'd usually get caught fairly quickly because I would have whatever random-ass name I put in there. So. Anyways, I don't know. I thought that was funny. Did yeah. no one notice two bots in the channel? Nope. Or did he kick out Slackbot? No, nobody just, nobody noticed. And if somebody's manually doing it, they probably wouldn't ever actually scroll through and see how many... Sh sh they were probably just searching for names. Just go into the search box, yeah. punch, punch in the name. Nothing comes up. Oh, okay. Well, whatever. So. Anyways. Any thoughts on that before we move on? Yeah, I don't guess I've really gone through to see how many bots were in my channel. When I look for someone, it's just a specific person. When I find them, I stop looking. Yep. And you probably don't sit there and scroll through every name either. You, So if you were, you might go, oh, wait, there's two ch two Slack bots in here. Well, honestly, especially in a company like that, the chances that somebody actually scrolled through the list rather than just searching for a name, pretty low. So, anyways. What I have for you tonight in Digital Dojo, I just thought was a neat little project. It is a, it's called Dospian 2.0. And what it is, is it's a modified Raspberry Pi image that boots directly into DOSBox. So if you're wanting to build up a retro gaming system, instead of trying to acquire an actual Pentium 1 or 486, which can be a pain in the butt to get one working and get, you know, discs and all that fun crap. Um, instead, bog standard Raspberry Pi. Uh, looks like they wrote it against the Raspberry Pi 4. This image. And, um, you know, this image and then whatever DOS games you got, just off SD card, modern stuff. There you go. Nice, easy, quick way to get a DOS uh, system up and going. Cool. And they've got it. They showed a 
Raspberry Pi 4 2 gig playing Diablo 1. They actually loaded Windows on it. Red Alert, Diablo. Um, and some other stuff he was testing on there. Of course, Doom. It's not a toothbrush, so, you know. But, uh, but yeah, they were showing a bunch of other DOS software on there, too. So, you know, Windows 95. <laughs> but, uh, anyways, um, thought it was cool. Thought I would share that. But uh, that's all I got for tonight. Of course, listen to the stream. We're always working on it. Beer decking every Thursday. Uh, the Galaxy 15 radio site. I can't read out the IRC tonight because I was not able to connect to it. The BBS, which I did see Cycros' link from last week, but um, I honestly probably wouldn't have hit that one on the show. Anyways, what's cool, though? Uh, Madman, closing thoughts. I also couldn't get into the uh, BBS. I gave it a shot. I think it's down. Not the BBS, the IRC. Or IRC. Yeah, the BBS is up. I was looking at that earlier today, but the IRC is not. Are you closing thoughts? I haven't got much, but if you're looking to get into a new show, new TV show, uh, have a go at Shogun. It's pretty good. Uh, it has subtitles though for those who don't like to re- read a good movie book. I don't know. Eh, give it a go. I'm enjoying it. You don't like the classic Godzilla where the mouth and the sound don't line up. Uh, I don't. I can do. I don't mind subtitles. Um, if it's a good movie, but if it's a crap movie, I hate subtitles. Hmm. Fair enough. All right, sound effects time. Man, I'm sorry about this. I hope this doesn't ruin your day. I'm gonna be honest with you. I, I'm kind of retarded. Security, security, she's got a break. I have never been horny in my entire life.